Welcome to the Behind the Geek Show. I am joined by Scott, Pete, and Richard. And in this week's episode, we are going to be talking about slimy sales and how to be a slimy salesperson when you're selling MSP services. Or the exact opposite of that, how not to be the slimy salesperson when you're talking about MSP services. And uh, we normally jump into a little bit of news before we start each week's episode. This time, we've only got one news article that we wanted to talk about briefly, and that is all around the topic of regulation in the MSP space. And it's uh, it's been incoming for many years. I know lots of the user groups, I think this probably happened in the UK as well, is that lots of the user groups thought that they would be able to start the process of, of helping out with regulation around the world and and getting... MSPs to be certified in some way, shape, or form as as an MSP, and it never really took off from the level of the user group perspective. And um, and I know organisations like CompTIA have started to, to to do some work around there. But now that governments have been hit by ransomware, governments are taking it on their plates to be the ones that that roll out these rules around MSP regulation, so that we start to become a little bit more of a professional industry versus or like accounting firms and law firms who have really been around for hundreds of years and have had some time to mature and and get regulated and whatnot, whereas we haven't. And so this week, I saw a news article floating around where the Department of Justice over in the US has started to put on some really deep, what's the word I'm looking for? Some really deep, not restrictions. I can't even remember. I I don't know the word I'm trying to find. Some what, sorry, labels. Labels. Yeah, some labels around how they define an MSP and, um, and what an MSP is and some of the things that an MSP can be held accounted for and liable to in their courts over there. And uh, and some of the wording that was used was quite serious and scary. And they were using words such as fraudulent and, and whatnot when they're, they're saying a, an MSP or some sort of contractor that's working for a government agency. So say you're an MSP that's doing some work for any government agency and, and they get hit with ransomware. They've started to tweak these rules now where they're saying that the MSP can be held liable for fraud in there for not holding up their end of the bargain of protecting against cybersecurity when they're pitching themselves as a cybersecurity-focused firm. So I, the, the conversation is, we were just talking a little bit before we just started here, that um, the conversation is happening all around the world in, in many different countries. US is heading it pretty heavily at the moment. What's happening in the UK, guys? Are you guys starting to see your governments pop up some some like dipping their fingers in the regulation pie? I know there's the cyber essentials, and you've got some requirements around that. How what what are you guys seeing over there at the moment that's popping Not up? Not so much, is it? Not so much at the moment, which I think <laughs> you know we always talk about the managed service industry in the UK. I, I don't. I'm not sure I've ever agreed with this, but being about sort of 18 months behind where the US right. is on this, if that is the case, and I'm not suggesting it is, we've got an opportunity here to start putting in place self-regulation and to raising the bar. I think this is a really interesting story for, you know, we've been in the industry, the four of us, for an awful long time. <laughs> so for the past 20 years, ever since I've been in the MSP industry, organizations like CompTIA and local user groups and others have been saying, hey, we want to weed out the cowboys we want to raise the bar of professionalism within the IT industry. And we've made steps towards that, but there's never been any regulation. Uh, there's been certification, but it's always been uh, voluntary, not mandatory. And now we're reaching a point where, as an industry, we haven't actually taken those steps. And so governments and local authorities are going to make those steps on our behalf, which is probably not the ideal situation, but it is where we are. So I think I'm broadly in favor of it, but it's got to have... Uh, the input of like lobbying groups like CompTIA and others. And Carl Palachuk in the US is doing an incredible job of uh, sort of uh, raising the uh, the rally charge on this one. I think the okay. thing we do have here is we have the cyber essentials, but it, it only really 
goes a tiny bit of the way from the end user's perspective. It doesn't really focus on the MSPs and right. the services the MSP provide. Um, yeah. It's a good start. It certainly means that you know every business should have a certain level of protection in place. And the only real, I guess, government legislation is, I believe, that you need to, um, if you are in, you know, if, I think if you're part of the DOD or if you fall in the supply chain of DOD, right. Department of Defense, then you must have that accreditation. So you do have to have that. But beyond that, it's anyone's kind of game at the moment. The Wild West still. <laughs> the same as it is very here. Wild West still. Uh, yeah, we've got no no or very little regulation. The government's just kind of – like we've got our version of the Essential 8, which is uh, – sorry, ours is called the Essential 8, which is our version of your cyber essentials, which is which are both the US's version of NIST or something based on the CIS framework over there. And we're all starting to, to see little inklings of it, but the US is really starting to get serious on it now. And, um, and just seeing some of the language that comes out kind of scares you. You think, ugh, like um, – Ignorance is not an excuse anymore around this stuff. And if you're the way I see some of the language being worded now, if you are out there and positioning yourself as a managed service provider or an IT support or services business, then there is now this underlying expectation that you know what this stuff means and you know what cybersecurity is and that you're looking after a proper cybersecurity stack and you're maintaining credentials and everything on it. And there is so many, I still see it, so many MSPs with dare I say it, their heads in the sand around security, thinking that backups and AV is is enough nowadays. And as we all know, it's not. It is just tiny little pieces of the pie now and, and really understanding all our respective countries' cybersecurity frameworks and aligning our technology stacks to those frameworks so that we've we've got a, a modicum of, of coverage based on on not just AV and like threat protection and and backup and recovery in there but going into all those other layers as well is just to me a minimum nowadays that msps need to be focusing on and the industry needs to be focusing on um scott you're you're the only one in this call that's actually in the msp game now and running one what are you look how are you approaching this at the moment because it's a, obviously there's not the, the regulations that you guys have over there but you guys are, are pretty pro um product proactive i would say msp over there so you're probably more forward thinking than most out there. How are you guys approaching this conversation at the moment and trying to keep up to date with it all? Yeah, so I, I, I would say, I, I would say genuinely, we try to be as security conscious as possible. Like it's it's the primary thing that we want to do is make sure that, like, whenever we you know put out a, a new deployment for a customer, that security is at the heart of what we do, and we try and push best practice every single time. But other than like Cyber Essentials or Cyber Essentials Plus, it's our interpretation of best practice. Yes. And so what we tend to do is we go, hey, here's the UK government's National Cybersecurity Center best practice guidance for, for Windows and 365 and, and you know some other systems. And we we stick to them. We we take those best practice guidance and we add like a sprinkle of our you know, <laughs> 20 odd years of experience. Um, <laughs> and, and we and we call that like this, this is our you know best practice recommendation. But I think I think the point more broadly is like the, there really should be some kind of regulation. I would love if there's some kind of regulation because yep. from MSP to MSP to MSP, you can just make it up. You know, you, you can you can make it up and you can say to the customer, "Hey, we totally understand security mm-hmm. and we've got your back and we know this stuff inside and out and this is the best." We've got hexagonal tag nuts and we've got spondulics over here, and you won't get that from any other provider. And the customer doesn't know. They don't know. They're coming to you because you're the expert, right? When we have um, simple things like at home, when we have a boiler installed for the house, 
you have to use like a Corgi accredited fitter, right. someone who's been registered to deploy that electrical and plumbing and heating system in your house. Same with the electrical systems. There's a there's a there's a board, there's a regulation, there's a committee, there's, there's a standard yeah. that you've achieved that has been you know set by the government and has been approved. You don't have that in MSP world, and so it's literally the story that one MSP tells to the customer versus another story that another MSP tells them. Who tells the story best is, is generally how it wins. And that is no validation of the yeah. actual quality of the service that they're going to get. It's, it's, it is the Wild West. It genuinely is. And I've, I've honestly seen, not saying I've worked for, but I've honestly seen some organizations <laughs> who go, hey, you know, we have PCI DSS compliance. We have you know, all this kind of compliance, uh, ISO 27001. And then in the internal process, the auditors are looking at the MSP and just going, you guys aren't interested in this. You're just badge hunting. You want the badge yeah, yeah, yeah. because then you can stick it on your website and stick it on your materials and claim to be ISO accredited. And yeah, sure, you've ticked the boxes, but you're not running this in the spirit that ISO yeah, was wrong intent. for. Yeah, wrong intent. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's just it to get the badge. It's been tried before, and it's been done very successfully to a degree. So my uh, MSP uh, was a part of an accreditation scheme called Accredit UK. So we're talking sort of 12 years or so ago. And Accredit UK then went on to become the CompTIA Business Trust Mark. I'm not even sure if it's still oh. around, truth be told. But it was voluntary but it was put together by MSPs, by IT companies, for IT companies. Right. And they, I was a massive champion of it at the time. But exactly to Scott's point, I said to other MSPs, look, the value in this is not a badge. Nobody is going to buy from you because you are a Credit UK or CompTIA Trustmark certified. Nobody. Because clients just don't know. The value in the certification is going through the certification and becoming a better business. Yeah, actually raising yeah. your bar, raising your standards. And so uh, it's interesting. It's been tried before that sort of died to death because it was voluntary. I don't yeah. think our industry Correct. is going to get there with voluntary standards. Correct. I think it needs to be yeah. forced upon us. 100%. I think it's definitely a deeper issue because you mentioned PCI compliance there. The number of end, end customers or end companies that I know that have just filled in the survey, you know, it's just the questionnaire. You just, yeah, we've got that. Yeah, we've got that. <laughs> yeah, we've got that. They don't have half the things they need. But There's no validation of it. Compliance. Yeah. Um, I'm I'm only assuming and hoping they do spot checks and catch some of these. But um, I mean, we, we had clients that would be like, "Oh, we just got our PCI DSS." Like, you shouldn't be able to get it, knowing what I know. About <laughs> <laughs> it's but kind it of scary as it is scary as IT people because we get to see behind the scenes of of everything out there and um, mm -hmm. of all the businesses out there. And even like um, Richard and Pete and myself, we get to see behind the scenes of lots of MSPs out there. And we see, like for me, it gets a little bit scary at times as well, seeing some MSPs out there um, that aren't taking this stuff seriously. And, and for me, it's ultimately just about the clients, right? The last thing I like seeing is seeing clients get hit. Uh, it doesn't matter what business, what model, whatever they're doing. I just hate seeing clients get hit by these things. And when you see that it's the negligence of an MSP, and, and I firmly believe nowadays that, if there's an MSP out there that's not taking cybersecurity seriously and thinking it's just AV and backups as cybersecurity, to me, that's now at the point where it's negligence. It's not ignorance anymore. It's negligence now. If you're an MSP and you're, you're just dealing with those two things, I know there's, again, none on this call watching, but um, but for those that, that are out there, they are in the realm of negligence now. And that's what I think this article was starting to talk about is if you're out there now um, sprouting your wares and putting up your shingle as an MSP, you, you've got to take this stuff seriously because otherwise we're doing you for fraud and we're going to go pretty hard on you out there. And I suspect over the next year or two, 
they're going to start to make some pretty big examples of some MSPs over in the UK, uh, sorry, in the US that will start to set some trends around this stuff as well. Um, so it's scary times, but it's also exciting times because the people that do it right, it's like it's improving the industry, as Richard said, and you go in and you actually do the work and, and you're improving your, your, your posture and you're improving your clients' businesses. And in the grand scheme of things, it's improving the industry and, and ultimately the outcome for the clients. Sorry, Pete, you were going to say something as well then. Before I, I was going to say, I know it's really not the way you should be looking at this at all, but isn't it also quite nice as an MSP where you see those others that aren't really up to scratch and you kind of go, well, if if they can run a business, then I can definitely run a business. It's <laughs> always like reassuring that if you're having a really bad week, you can go, well, yep. they're trying to jam hard disks that don't fit into a server that, that just isn't going to work. Yep. I'm actually providing a good service over here, so yeah, I, yeah. I stand a much better chance at doing well here. It was. It kind of. I remember it opening my eyes a few times when I saw it behind the scenes of some large MSPs, and I won't name any names either, but saw some of the work and how they operated things and went, oh, my goodness, Like we're a tiny little MSP and we are doing things 5x better than what these guys are not just incrementally better but 5x better than what these guys are i would hate to be their clients because they're wide open and i'm talking large msps literally only five years ago where rdp ports were open left right and center and and av wasn't installed on most of the things and and these are australia's most known msps and you look at it from us nimble msps view and you look at them and you go like we actually are most most smaller msps that do focus on this stuff can do a really good job without too much overhead in there and um, yeah. Yeah, it kind of does give you that validation, Pete, as you say. Mark uh, Hancock on the on the chat. Hey, Mark, hopefully see you at the, the next Newcastle Tribal Gathering. Uh, he says, regulation is a positive for us MSPs, in his opinion. And he makes a really good point here. GDPR in the UK made businesses, clients this is, take data control seriously. Right. So hopefully regulation with uh, can help with security being taken more seriously by all. Now, Scott, you and I on last night's tribal gathering, a bit of cross-promotion there, we were talking, weren't we, about how sometimes you can give the best advice to the client, but they end up going, no, 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 we just want to do things the way we want to do things. And if, if MSPs would go, okay, we'll help you with that, we can end up with a bit of sort of egg on our face and or going forward, maybe a lawsuit on our hands or a fine, so... Oh man, I can I can give you the the exact example of that. We we work with a partner MSP who, and I may have mentioned this on the, the live stream previously, but uh, they had a small client, uh, twelve people in the property business, um, and they had just moved to three six five, and the the you know the partner had worked with us, so we we're like, okay, MFA, you know, single sign on, all that kind of good stuff, Microsoft Authenticator app, and the CEO had gone to the partner and said, look, I just it's just too complicated. I just can't get on with this. I just can't do this two-factor thingy. You need to turn it off. And the partner buckled and they turned it off for that CEO. For the CEO. Ugh. Two weeks later, the CEO's email has been breached and he sent an email to the finance team saying, hey, can you pay these guys £6,000? Here's the source code. Here's the account number. And what they'd done is they'd hacked his account. They'd just guessed his password over a certain period of time. They'd watched his emails and they'd seen how he writes to the finance team. And when you look through the history of his emails, which we did during the investigation, he literally just goes, oi, finance team, this company, this sort of code, this account number, this amount, go. And so they just did another one of those exact emails. It looked exactly the same. £6,000. Cost him £6,000. Because... What about... Oh, sorry, you go, Scott. No, no, I was going to say, and it, and it was because the partner wasn't strong enough to just go, no, I'm not doing that for you. I realize you think it's too difficult, but I have an obligation to keep you safe because you don't know well enough. I know well enough that that is a stupid idea to turn off MFA. We've made you secure. 
deal with it because in the future, and, and I think we've seen this in Europe uh, for some MSPs already, where there's been a lawsuit against the MSP because the MSP wasn't strong enough and clear Correct. enough in their language that they said, absolutely not. We will not do that because it is putting yourself at risk because the partner didn't say that to the customer. Unfortunately, in this instance, the customer didn't come back and go, well, this is your fault. You shouldn't have let me do it. You know this stuff better than I do. But that's the attitude we've now got to have. We've, And, and that's why I'd love the idea of regulation because it would give us the backing to go, Correct. Yeah. absolutely not. I mean, I don't, I don't think we need it. I think we should have that in, you know, in our mind anyway to just go, no, it's, it's bloody stupid these days. Yeah. This is how you do things and stop compromising on simple passwords, shared passwords. We, we all know the customers that do it, you know, turning off MFA because it's too complicated, <laughs> having device controls on everyone's device except the CEO because he uses Apple products <laughs> and so business data's on there, but he's a special case. Yeah, he's a special case. He's got all the most sensitive data in the company on his iPad that isn't protected. Yep, the, the kids R- are installing Roblox on. <laughs> Yep. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, one of our one of our tech tribe members that shall remain nameless had that exact same phishing issue there with the emails that was four million dollars, not six thousand uh, dollars. They were in the construction industry, and it got blocked at the last minute in there. They 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 missed it by they they were literally pressing send on the the amount of money because sending four million dollars was something they did every day because they're in the construction space and it was yeah, over yeah. building stuff. And, and they caught it that last minute the exact same way. And, and that's the good thing about all of these things. The horrible thing is that it happens. The good thing is that these are the exact stories and analogies that every MSP should have in their arsenal ready to talk to the client about when they do say no to MFA in there and say, this is this is the opposite. This is the flip side of what's going to happen in there if you don't put this stuff in. And I get I mean, it. though. No, Oh, sorry, the Pete, fact that every MSP has their own stories is probably scary yes. enough that it, it does happen. <laughs> it, even it with the MSPs that are making the efforts, things do, do still get through. Yeah. I um, I also get it from the flip side in that, especially if you're you're just starting out in the MSP world as well, and, and for the first couple of years in my MSP, I was a very unconfident, very um, scared of my clients that if I made them feel bad in any way whatsoever, that they would pick up their, their business and walk elsewhere with it. And so... In the first couple of years, I, I did let stuff get by and I did let clients walk over with me a little bit until I did have some of those scares in there and realized that, hey, I'm not doing my clients a service here by letting them walk over me. I need to be the person that stands up and, and gives them the professional answer to these things uh, to save their life and to save their business in the long term. And and it takes a little bit of, of, especially for some of us introverts, getting used to standing up to a client when they do push back against you. But overall, you you gain a bunch more respect over time when you do start to do that and you start to do it with the right reasons and the right stories and the right analogies and the right approach in there and and they, they will they will start to trust you over time and they I never ever ever ended up losing a client I was always scared of losing a client by saying hey you got to go and put all this stuff in but I never did um, I just got a little bit more confident a little bit more confident every single time I went through that conversation and and realized that the easiest way to go through those conversations is just stories and analogies like telling them what can happen in there not talking to them about features and benefits and crap like that. It was literally stories and analogies is what helped me make it such a simple process to sell this stuff. Out of interest, very, very quick quick one. Is anyone really starting to use these at all yeah. um, within their own businesses like YubiKeys or Titan Keys or anything along those lines? I've The more and more I see online, the more people are getting their, even just their mobile phones accounts hacked and then getting um, you know credentials stolen off them, passwords reset. Right. Is, like is anyone really hack. rolling that out amongst customers or even internally th- throughout themselves? We use them internally. So we, yeah, 
Yeah, I was going to say, we, we've got them internally. I wouldn't say we use them all the time. Uh, the, the place where we've seen them very popular is we did some work with um, a defense contractor for the UK. Um, and they have um, they have sites that they go to that absolutely don't contain any kind of weapons. They don't. Um, but you're not allowed <laughs> to take mobile devices with you into those locations. And so for a two-factor authentication mechanism, they can't have their mobile phone to have the MFA. So actually having a, a YubiKey or a physical hardware token as that second factor right. is a perfect use case for them. Yeah. Um, yeah. So that, that's where we see it be really good. But actually, like I've got to be honest, when I'm setting up a, a new machine or if I, I just wiped this machine to put Windows 11 on it recently and it goes, oh, hey, why don't you sign in with your Windows account? And I was like, oh, I can't be bothered like getting out my... Because I don't know my 365 <laughs> password, right? It's it's in it's yeah. in a password, and it's all up against the lowercase, 20 characters. But I get out my little Yubi key, and I'm like, bong, here's my identity, here's my fingerprints. Okay, cool, that's you. Can you just authenticate that on a second device? Yeah, done. And I didn't have to type in any passwords. I'm like, oh, happy done. I know if you uh, find so this, I'm a big fan. With uh, I've spoken to a lot of MSPs who have said when they try to implement MFA with their clients, uh, some of the client's employees push back because they say, I am putting work stuff on my mobile phone, mm. like yes. an Authy or Google mm. Authenticator or Microsoft, whatever. So the those YubiKeys or you know the Google Secure Keys, those type of things are a really good solution to say, okay, Company well, supply. Out of MFA, yeah. there it is yeah, yeah. anyway. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Company we supply. We had a client in, with, uh, with end users in China and for more cultural reasons than anything else, um, from what I could discern is that it wasn't appropriate to ask the employees to install an authenticator app on their personal device. Right. Um, and it felt, I, I didn't get to the bottom of it, but it felt very much like a cultural issue, not a business or a, you know, a, a financial issue. And so for them, again, YubiKeys was a perfect mechanism for that second factor of authentication. Equally so was inbound phone calls because, you know, we can, we can call someone and ask them to just type in a number. You see that a lot with PayPal these days where they'll call you to confirm a new transaction. So that was okay. YubiKeys were okay. But yeah, again, same thing, asking them to install an app on their phone, not okay in, in that territory. Not easy. <laughs> aye, aye, aye. It is a, a minefield out there, but um, but it is also- oh, we've, the, we've got to be strong, haven't we? You we, do, we've yeah. Got to be we've got Correct. to push and, and push for the right things. And that's it. And, and the MSPs now, the MSPs all around the world are in this critical position now that they are at the forefront of this whole cybersecurity war. And reality is it is a war. It's a war between business and hackers. It's as simple as that. And MSPs are the ones on the front lines understanding this war and knowing how to fight it. And and you've got to stand up and you've got to be strong and you've got to sometimes have those or often be okay having those awkward and tough conversations with clients because that awkward and tough conversation is likely going to save their business and their life somewhere down the track. It's not like it's a, a might happen. These things are just is going to happen nowadays. Like it ha the, the percentages are, are scary when you see how many businesses are actually getting hit with this stuff nowadays. It's not the one, two, three, four percentages. It's like the 84 percentages in some marketplaces are getting hit with this stuff. And when you look at that, you go, that's like eight and a half in every 10 businesses are going to get hit in the next year or two with, with some sort of attack out there. And it's kind of, kind of nuts. Um, but that's why everybody listening to this show is at the forefront of that, looking after their clients and learning all this we stuff. We've got to bad look after guys everybody. and we've got good guys. And there's a lot we of good do. guys watching live. There is. Let's say hello to some of them. Hey, Mark, we've got Drew over in Texas. We've got Theo in uh, London, I believe it is. I want to give a shout out as well. Uh, Craig Hume and the team at Utopia up in Scotland. Um, because be behind, behind the Geeks actually made the news last week. Uh, and it was all thanks to Craig and the team at Utopia. 
so uh, Doug Woodburn uh, from CRN, CRN got in touch with me because we on last week's show, we featured this CRN article about the vendor uh, uh, report and some of the brutal burns that were uh, in there. And we had some laugh, uh, laughs with it. But Craig actually connected me with Doug and Doug did a piece on Behind the Geeks in there. So thank you, Craig and the team at Utopia. You are awesome. And uh, thank you, Doug and the team at CRN for, for keeping your finger on the pulse here. So much appreciated. Thank you, Craig. Uh, thank you for the video that you sent me last week as well with your beautiful little daughter in the, the little pram pushing along. Um, right. So oh, we've got a bunch of people in the chat. I can see the chat this time and I can see there's James has just died in from Melbourne. We've got an, an Aussie here on the call, which is awesome. I love it. Um, right. This week's hot topic. What are we? We're 26 minutes into it. Let's get into the hot topic. It's all about sales. Um, we were last week we were talking a little bit about, um, uh, we touched on this topic a little bit, but we, we thought we'd dive into the whole sales process in MSPs and how a lot of MSPs uh, feel like when they're doing sales, they they feel like they're coming across as the, the icky used car salesman kind of feel in there. And, and often, 99.9% of the time, that couldn't be further from the truth. And so I wanted to just have a bit of a conversation this week around sales processes, how they fit into the journey. Um, different types of things in there. Now, I know Richard, you've been um, you've been through a couple of really high level programs in the world. Um, the Sandler training, which I think you you absolutely loved and adored because it gave you a really great framework for the process of selling and and making it a a formal thing and how to frame selling not only to your clients but to yourself as well through there. What sort of yeah. um, what are some of your big takeaways that you took from from your learnings around that that really gave you some better sales confidence? If I was to encapsulate it in one thing. Uh, and let me give a bit of background here. Anybody who knows me on the call already knows I'm a massive tech geek. Like, <laughs> I love technology. I mean, look around the place. Never. Like, Never. Loads and loads of us on this call today, loads of people watching this video, get into the IT industry, get into the tech industry, the MSP space, because they're really good with tech. But then we become suddenly, oh, we've got to do HR, we've got to do business, we've got to do sales. And sales has always felt like, okay, we've got to try and, or, or stereotypically, you've got to try and persuade somebody to buy something from you, persuade them. You've got that stereotypical image, haven't you, of like a uh, used car salesman or door-to-door salesman. What I learned was, like, I got into this industry, I was good at tech, and I loved helping people. Sales is helping people. Nothing more than that. That's the number one thing I sort of took out of this. And um, when I went through, you know, Sandler Sales Institute and and to a lesser degree as well, I'll give a shout out. We, we mentioned this quite often, but The Go-Giver mm. uh, by Bob Berg and, and John David Mann. You know, Scott and I, huge fans of this. I should get commission from Bob Berg <laughs> for this because the dude is <laughs> But seriously, The Go-Giver is just talking about helping people. And so for me, when I went through these formal sales training uh, programs, uh, all it did was accentuate the part of me that wanted to help people and push down the part of me that thought, I've got to be a salesperson and do all of this icky stuff. Mm -hmm. Simple as that. So there's plenty of you know great sales trainers out there. We've got in the UK, we've got Fiona Chalice, we've got Paul Lloyd, mm -hmm. um, all part of the tribe, uh, tech tribe and give great value. But essentially, that's what they teach people, you know, have a system, don't be icky, stick to the system, help people, and you will make sales. And I think actually there's a link in there to what we were talking about earlier, the cybersecurity stuff, where clients are trying to get us to sort of uh, bend our um, ethics to I a believe. degree, bend our, uh, uh, you know, what we stick to. And when we do that, we come unstuck. 
And so just don't do it. And I've stuck to that <laughs> to this day. And, um, you know, it's, it works really well. I think that's such an important thing in terms of like, just going back to that fundamental point of lots of us that get into this are techies. We love fixing things. We love breaking things as well, but we love to fix them more. But <laughs> you're just going in to help people. They're telling you their problems. They might be business problems rather than the actual fundamental underlying techie problems. But you're still going in there to say, okay, well, those are your problems. Here is how we as a business can fix it. Here's where those problems would kind of sit within maybe our products and services that we offer. And it's just trying to find the right fit. That, that's essentially what it is. Uh, the thing I always yeah. want to struggle not, with, actually. Or so not as well. Mm. If, or, so if they're not, not a good fit for you, saying, actually, we don't that. do well. that. Let me introduce you to Scott or Pete, who does it. So Exactly that. Um, I was going to say, one of, one of the biggest things that I used to struggle with was you, you put together your you know, products and packages and all that kind of thing. And then a week later or a month later, you then discover something that you now need to then include <laughs> within your products. There's the whole, well, okay, now now I feel like a salesman because I'm having to go back to them and say, well, you know that thing you just recently bought or sign up to? Now we need to add this into it. And then there's that whole discussion of, well, do you include it for free? Do you discount it to get them up to it? Do you go and say, actually, it's now another £2, $2 per user per month? Um, be interested to know how, how you guys suggest mm. to, to deal with that because I know we kind of went back and forth between ways of doing that in, in the past as well. Yeah. I, I also got hammered with that one many times and got it wrong. And um, and what I learned myself, the way that it helped me deal with that is to pre-frame that things are always going to evolve. And so whenever I started sitting down with clients, is always making sure that they understood that an IT relationship is not like a printer lease where you get a fixed price upfront and it stays a fixed price for the next four years with no bumps up or no bumps down. IT is this fluid thing and cybersecurity is only added to the fluidity in there because we're, we're, we're waging in this war that is changing. The landscape's changing every, every day with hackers coming in with new ways of breaking into things. And so, sure, we might be able to put in something now and what we're going to put in now is the best that we can right now for the budget that you've got right now. But we can't guarantee that it's going to stay like that for the next three years because the landscape changes too fast. And in my first couple of years, I was like, I know I made that mistake many times, Pete, where I was just too scared to have those conversations with clients because I'd just gone and sold them on something and then I'd sort of see something else and i go, oh, crap, they really need to have that. But I'm scared of <laughs> then going back to them because then they're going to go, what's wrong with this guy? Why didn't he sell it to us two months ago? Well, mm -hmm. Do they really know what they're doing? And so for me, it was all about pre-framing that things change and so that they had that cold expectation really upfront at the beginning of the journey um, so that when I did come back and said, hey, by the way, this whole incident has come up now or this type of situation's come up now, we really need to do this. They were a little bit prepared for it versus me just coming at them completely blank out there. And that, that really for me, that helped. Um, was Ernst Murray, I think, maybe. I might be someone else on the try, but because there, there's the question of, well, now you've got this package or this service and now you're adding this thing into it. Yeah. But then you've got some clients that have taken it up, some clients that haven't, some clients that may be on a two or three-year-old product. Um, I think it was Ernst Murray that said there was like a – the 2021 security package and then he'd make the 2022 right, yeah. version and then yeah, uh, yeah. each year Very you get cool. them to move up yeah. and then cool. maybe you give them a year's lenience on you know having the last year's version then you push them up later mm. on that i felt was quite a nice and um just a clean way of bundling it up because one of the worst things of having all these services is <laughs> having all these services and different customers using different ones 29 different levels of service no idea when the customer phones in whether yeah. who's on are you on security package A, B? Are you on the, the last year's version of security package A? And that, that gets really confusing and difficult to manage. Um, yeah. Obviously, you can use contracts within ConnectWise and Autotask to try and manage a lot of that. But uh, yeah, I just love the simplicity of the, okay, you're on the 2021 version. Um, next year, we're going to have the 2022 version. Price might go up. 
but um, it kind of it like you say, it is what it is. It's constantly evolving, and we need to make sure we're we're staying up to date with everything. What are your thoughts, Scott? What are your your favorite ways of helping clients kind of understand that morphing and changing, and how do you deal with it? Because obviously, it, the industry just changes faster than most people change their underwear. How are <laughs> how are you kind of helping clients keep up with that conversation? knowing that, that you're not going to have your final product ever. You're always having to iterate and you're always having to add more stuff. How do you kind of balance out that whole thing of of not rolling out something new every week, which would be pretty easy in our space to roll out something new every week? How do you kind of balance it so that it doesn't become overwhelming, not only for you but for the clients to, to hear it as well? Yeah, I mean, I've got to say, I think I've just taken away a piece of absolute gold from you, Nigel, because that that pressure that you have as the MSP when you go into those sales conversations to – have the answer and to have the answer that is going to consistently last for a one, two or three year contract. And and I love what you've just said there, which is, you know what, this, this stuff evolves all the time. There isn't one answer. There's the answer that is right for your business today, but the landscape's going to change and your business is going to change. And so we're going to help and support and, and partner with you over a three year term, you know, if, if that's the contract that we're talking about. But I love that the way that you frame that is to set that expectation right up front. And I, I, hand on heart, I don't think we do that. I don't think we we set that right at the beginning right. to say, hey, you know, this all changes. And I, I love what you've said. I think I've, I've just learned an absolute gem <laughs> for my next. I'll, I'll expect the commission check in the mail from your next sales. Yep. <laughs> I'll, uh, I'll put it in my $49 for the monthly uh, subscribe <laughs> But um, no, I, I love that. And and I can see in chat from Tim Swainson the, the conversation that I hear all the time, uh, which is they won't do that. Right? So we we consistently have a conversation with our customers about don't just take, and, and I'll try not to just harp on about Microsoft because that, that's in my bag, but don't just take the cheapest license. Right. If you take this one here, yes, it's an extra six dollars per user, whatever it is. But here are all the security features that are baked into that. And that means that as a managed service, we're going to protect your business in all these fantastic ways. And, you know, we could show them those, tell them those stories that we talked about, about people getting breached. We could tell them the, the stats that 99% of breaches come from a Duff password or from a phishing email attack. Okay, you pay this extra five or six dollars or whatever it is, those things won't happen to you because we can put the protection in place. But as Tim says in chat, it's so hard to get them to buy in because they don't understand, you know, this, this could just be an upsell process from you. They don't know what the reality is. And so you've got to try and really explain it to them in terms that they understand. Give them the choice and say so, yeah, we we have packages like pizza we've you know we've packed our things in and i love that concept about to say yeah this was the 2021 pack mm. this is the 2022 pack because we can't keep iterating the, not every the, week the stack changes all the time and so maybe once a quarter we'll then go look something great has really come along that is revolutionary and we'll go back to our customers and say hey i wouldn't normally talk to you about this but this has made such an impact on this latest project. I genuinely thought of you and I want to have this conversation either now or at the next renewal period. And yeah, let me help you. If I can offset some of the costs, because this isn't what we talked about. If I can offset something for the first six months, maybe, and then after that, you'll get to the right price point. We shouldn't have to do that. But I, I genuinely, I guess I'm a terrible salesperson because I'm not always thinking about the margin. I'm thinking about what's best for the client and the long-term relationship. And so- I'll, I'll sometimes take the bath for the margin to help I'm going to stop you there just for a second because no, you just said something really bad. You just said you're a terrible in. sales rep 
for focusing, caring about the client. And that's what I think the mentality is wrong in our space is the Agreed. good sales reps are the ones that focus on the client, not the bad ones. The bad ones are the ones that focus on the margin first and the client second. And so you, Scott, are a good sales rep. You need to buddy, <laughs> realize that. And the, the good sales reps in our industry need to realize that, that if you're out there looking after your clients first and then caring about margins second, margins are important. We want to live and, and survive and be there tomorrow. But you're worrying about the client first. That's what it's all about. And that's what sales is, is really all about. That's what that book is all about. That's what Sandler is all about. It's what this whole this whole conversation is all about is the good sales reps out there caring about their clients. And, and That's me hitting Scott over the head, by the way, because the with dude, that book. Read <laughs> he's doing it. Yeah. Out. He's doing so it. So I was like about to pick this up and beat you over the head with Bob Berg's book, Scott. So, sorry, you Scott, are a go-giver. on you there, but you just... You are a go no, no. And also, you, you've talked, like your business has quadrupled in like the last uh, 18 months or whatever. Yeah. So if you are a, a, a like a, a bad salesperson in the traditional uh, sense, you don't push the- God help everybody it. else. <laughs> yeah, it's surely working here. So. <laughs> yeah, and, and I think, yeah, I think Theo made a point really early on in chat as well, which is actually, if you get into a conversation, and this happened to me the, the other week, if you get into a conversation where you know what's right for the client and they simply won't buy it. They keep asking you to compromise and they keep asking you to dwindle the price down. They keep wanting you to turn off the security features. Walk away because you, you couldn't be bold to just say, I understand what you want. I don't think it's a good fit for your business and therefore we're not going to work with you on this project. There, there are many other IT partners who will happily take your money and leave you in a, an insecure yeah. situation. Right. I'm sorry, we're not one of them, and, and we're happy to leave it here. So thanks for the opportunity. It's been great to talk to you and all that good stuff. And and you'll, you'll see the shock on their face where they go, well, hang on, aren't you thirsty for my money? No, genuinely, I'm not I'm not thirsty for anyone's money. Um, you know, I'd, I'd love to work with you. I'd love to help you, but you are making too many compromises. And genuinely, I don't feel comfortable putting that together for you as a business. So and thanks, I have no I have risks. Yeah. Like, we're talking yeah. about yeah. right at the very beginning. This this industry is now the risk is shifting further and further to the MSP, whether they like it or not, whether they limit yeah. it by the liability in their clauses or not. Uh, risk is shifting drastically to the MSP, and there's but there's layers to that whole conversation, Scott. Where you 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 go and release a client to go to someone else because they're not listening to you because you can go through the whole uh, limited like li disclaimer liability process where you get them to physically sign off on something saying that they they agree that. These are the. This is what you've recommended to them. These are the risks that they face. They're signing to agree that you take no liability. Now they can be. They, they that liability disclaimer letter can be used in some areas, and it's it's more of a sales tool than it is a liability disclaimer tool. Because especially in the US, um, lots of courts don't listen to it. But when you throw one of them in front of a client that you do perhaps want to still keep the relationship with, but they're just not seeing the the severity of the situation. You can you can say, hey, like we take it so seriously that I need you to sign off on this thing here you to continue being a client for me because my risk factor in here is too high and i i completely disagree with your decision here we still want to keep maintaining you as a client for every other reason in there but this particular one decision you've made is something that we just we, we're going to have to disagree with and we're going to have to get that in writing from you guys and 90 percent of the time when i had to get to that level and it was very rare that i did but i did it probably three times the client went oh like if they've pulled out the big guns here and trying to get me to sign this legal thing I probably am making the wrong decision and they, they changed and they made the right decision and they went and invested in the backups that we're asking them to invest in. We did it back on, on backups back then. Um, but you've got layers of that. But then ultimately you're going to get clients that um, just keep signing those letters or they ignore those letters and they're the ones that you just go, hey, it's time to release you across to someone else because the risk now on my plate, you're risking not only um, 
your business, but you're risking my business and my clients and my the rest of my clients and the rest of my staff and my livelihood and everything in here yeah. now. And going back to the what, what are your um, you everyone's opinions? I was going to say, going back to the early conversation about regulation, I mean, literally say to them, hey, we, you know, I don't think we're going to be able to to service your needs anymore. Um, you should go and have a conversation with uh, Alan's laptop and fishing tackle <laughs> down the road. Because we want to say to them, like, really subtly, I used to do this, and I know it comes across as arrogant, but we really wanted to say to them, you clearly don't give two hoots about IT, but if I say that to your face, you're going to be offended. So yes. let me point you towards... Alan's laptop repair, repair, fish and tackle, and laundry shop down the road. Who can do all of that sort of stuff for you? I love that you use the term fishing tackle and laundry in there. Yeah, yeah. Well, we have them here in the UK, don't we, Scott? We've got these uh, the stores that we do uh, laptop and mobile phone repair, and we sell kebabs and pizzas as well. Like, why would you trust your computers to these people? But anyway, there we go. Uh, sorry, Pete, what were you going to say? What's everyone's opinions of uh, cyber liability insurance? Because certainly every time I've gone through that, it's um, you know I think it's worth having in place. But when you actually look through everything they require, you might as well invest the money in putting all the protection in place that the, the insurance requires anyway for them to pay out. Um, be interesting to see what your your collective thoughts are. Or we just renewed our, our cyber like last week, so it's fresh on my plate. The cyber insurance and our PIPL. Do you guys have PIPL over there? Is that what your main? Yeah. Insurance, so it's different to the US. We have PIPL, but we also have a separate cyber liability. Yeah, so we're the same. We have PIPL and then separate cyber over here. And um, public liability. Correct, yeah. And whereas the US, they have E&OE and and slightly different makeup to theirs over in the US. Um, But we just did our our cyber out here. Cyber is is one of those those crazy ones. I've heard a couple of, like we have it and, and I couldn't, sleep at night if I didn't have it in the business. We didn't have it in the MSP because my I sold my MSP nearly five years ago now and it was just not the landscape it is to this day. Um, however, it's with, have any of you guys seen MSPs require their clients to have cyber liability on their own end? Have you guys seen? I've heard a few starting to pop that into their agreements now that they will not deal with the client unless they've got cyber liability signed off on at the client's end so that, and they have it drafted in their agreements that that's the liability um, that, the insurance plan that needs to be called on first in some sort of incident in there. Um, no, I've, I've only idea. been on the other end of that where the um, I'm on a phone call with their insurance company and they're saying, you need to tell them we had all the protection in place, even yes. though we didn't. That's the other, other end I've been on. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, I've seen some uh, vendors have uh, started to encourage the uh, cyber liability insurance um, and they actually have uh, buddied up with uh, some of the uh, insurance, I'm not going to say brokers, but insurance companies. So I think Cisco are one of them that if you've got certain Cisco kit in place, which is highly secure, you know, well-maintained, under contract, maintenance contract and that, you can end up with like a 30, 40% decrease. Yeah, right. Awesome. On your cyber, yeah. Which is really smart. Really, yeah. really smart. It's yeah, like yeah. our kit ticks the box, go and grab it. And I yeah. know MSPs are probably not aware of, of that too much, but one worth looking into. So I, I had that exact conversation with my broker last week is that the cyber landscape, cyber liability and insurance landscape is so wild west at the moment that they're writing all of these policies and literally they're out here in Australia, at least, all the main cyber underwriters are writing their policies around things like, do you have antivirus installed on all your machines? Are you patching windows? And do you have daily backups that are stored off-site? And that's the three questions I got asked on our cyber liability. And I said, guys, the problem you've got with this is that we have that and 75 other layers stacked on top of it protecting us. 
But because you're only asking those three things there, that means you're paying out to all these other people that only are protecting against those three things in there, which is pushing my premiums through the frigging roof, even though I'm protected 10 times more than everybody else. And so our the cyber liability in it or the insurance industry really has a long way to go in trying to understand all those nuances, like you said, Richard, where they can kind of prove that we've got a better posture to get a lower premium out there. And I think there's there's it's ripe for disruption out there at the moment. If there's any, I'm sure there's a few like the broker that I was talking to said that they're working with one of their underwriters that is actually trying to figure out some AI and some algorithm stuff around this stuff so that for the next couple of years, they'll be really able to customize the premium. So for a really low risk business like us that's invested really heavily into our cyber posture, we will have pay a, a premium that's like not 10% less, like 90% less compared to the other guys yeah. out there. And when you're talking five, 10, 15, $20,000 a year for a policy, that that's a considerable big difference in it. It's and worth mentioning as well when it comes to cyber insurance not to uh, for MSPs watching don't get into the situation where you're the ones recommending a policy. Yeah. Uh, I think there's a certain amount of liability there. This is just Correct. me being you know, yeah. uh, cautious with it. What I would recommend, though, in whichever part of the world you were in, is build a relationship up with not just an insurance broker, but a cyber specialist insurance broker. So here in the UK, we've got Tech Insure, uh, Trevor Cornbill. He's at all the CompTIA meetings. He knows the industry inside and out. And he can talk to you about specifically about the MSP industry, not just an insurance broker who's saying, oh, yeah, have you got <laughs> antivirus? Are you patching your machine? Yeah, yeah, like, <laughs> exactly. And whichever part of the world you're in, you will find an insurance broker has seen that, hey, this is an industry I can specialize in just the same as motor cars and, yep. you know, naval liability and all of these things. So seek out a broker. Build a relationship, and then when you have the conversation with your clients, don't recommend a policy. Just say, let me introduce you to Trevor, and Trevor is our yeah. uh, partner on this, is our trusted partner. He will look after you, and then yeah. you're going you're gonna to tick the boxes. In the U.S., you've got the legend that hangs out in the tech tribe, Joseph Brunsman, um, who I have – I have never met a person in my life that geeks out any more around cybersecurity insurance than he does. And I've, I've been on a few phone calls with him where two hours, we, we went so deep into all the nuances around stuff. And, and his, like his eyes are like dish plates. He talks about this stuff like crazy and understands it deeply and wrote like a 900-page book on cybersecurity insurances and, and whatnot. And they're the type of people you want in your ball court when you're, you're dealing with this stuff. They're the people that you want in your corner. They're the people that you want in your client's corner when you're setting this stuff up. And there is a couple of them around the world. There's not enough of them, I believe, at the moment, only because we're kind of just starting it. And I don't know of any out here in Australia at that level. But in the US, I do know of Joseph and and you, Richard, mentioned, was it, what was his name that you just... Trevor Cornbill at Tech Trevor Insure, Cornbill, right. who has been yeah. in the industry forever, but is a real uh, geek for the tech yeah, side right. of space. So go for it. Speak Finding geeks like us that that love brokerage or insurance <laughs> underwriting as much as we love Office 365 and PowerShell. A fundamental thing about managed services, you know, to get the topic on sales uh, again, and that is like I always ran my business, and I know Scott, you run your business. We we talk about this all the time. Focus on your core competencies, mm. and if stuff comes that's on the periphery, don't try and merge it all into it. Build up relationships with people who can deliver that stuff to your client, because you know what, your clients will come away thinking better of you that you didn't take on a job and do a half-assed job of it that yes. you actually in introduce them to somebody who could do a world-class job on it. And you're the one that ends up with the kudos, the credit from it. So fundamental yeah. thing. Agreed. Uh, Pete, you were going to say something as well then before, before I think one of us went on a big epic rant. 
<laughs> That's fine. No, I, was, I was just going to um, cover very quickly. So over here in the UK with Cyber Essentials and Cyber Essentials Plus, Cyber Essentials comes with cyber liability insurance. Obviously, it's right. going to be a fairly pigeonholed cyber, cyber liability right. insurance. But you do get some discounts uh, with Cyber Insurance Plus uh, with certain nice. brokers. That's just worth noting if you are pushing your clients right. to Cyber Essentials Plus then you can find some uh, discounts on there as well. So you as the MSP get a discount if you are certified in Cyber Essentials Plus, do you? Or even the customers get a discount if they're certified in... A anybody. So yeah, any business, right. if they go for a Cyber Essentials Plus, can, okay. uh, can look for those insurance brokers that have the uh, have the discounts. Yeah, right. So that, that's the, all the starting grounds of this kind of customization of the, the stuff. But at the moment, as I was saying to, to our broker... What the brokers had to do over the last couple of years is just write policies having no idea about the metrics of those policies because they had no no baseline of how, how much they'd be paying out. And then in the last two years, they've all been hammered and floored on these things. And that's why everybody, as renewals are coming around, they're not like 10% increases at the moment. They're 100% increases and 200% increases on their policies because they're now just starting to get a grasp of the numbers that they're paying out on. And now I think that's gonna that's happening, but it's also the, the maturity of the questions that they ask is really starting to finally get into play in there. But it is a that, that was a kind of that's probably another we can have another entire episode on cybersecurity <laughs> liability insurances in there if we wanted to. It's such a deep topic. Um, Something I was going to um, follow up with is um, just just move on slightly. Is we've we've kind of covered a little bit on like objection handling and touched on kind of the the actual kind of framing the uh, the sales process as well. How about the follow up? So I'm sure we've all run into this. You get a client that inquires, you go out, you do the sales piece, you give them your pricing, packaging, quoting, and then it goes completely dead. Ghost. You don't hear anything. They ghost you. They Ghosting. What do you do in that situation? Richard? I, I leave them alone, Pete, because I'm not thirsty for business. Yeah. <laughs> I, I send them my best shot. If they weren't interested, they weren't interested, buddy. I've given you my best offer. You want to work with the best or not? <laughs> I want to throw. We've already made. So, we did that. So, so I've I've lost business over that because you know yeah. I was very much I'm not pushy. I'm just like, hey, right. we've given you the stuff. If if you'd like it, then would you know, awesome. Would love to work with you, but no pressure. I'm not going to chase you. Just you know, we're here. And then yeah. I would bump into that same customer two or three months later and just be like, hey, just checking. Yeah, how, how are you getting on with your IT? And like, did, did you do anything? Like, oh yeah, we went with someone else because you know you, you didn't chase us. We thought you were interested. <laughs> like, of course we were. We just didn't want to pressure you. Yeah. We've, we've mentioned the, the legend that is Carl Palachuk already uh, once in this call and the great work Carl's doing in the US about regulation. Carl taught me something years ago when it came to that ghosting process, which we've all experienced. And the fault is on our part, I should say, mm. you know, to, to a degree. Yeah. Uh, we can talk more about that. But Carl taught me something. He said, you know, if you're waiting to hear back from somebody and you feel as though you've been ignored, just remember, silence means nothing. And what he means by that is, and, and Pete, you, you'll have found this out in those situations you talked about, of course, if you'd have got in touch with the client when it was important to them, which is an absolute random uh, thing, they would have got back to you. But when you emailed them, when it wasn't important to them and they didn't get back to you, it didn't mean that they're ignoring you. They were being ignorant probably, but it, what they wasn't ignoring you on purpose. It was just they'd got something else to do that day or whatever. Mm. So yeah. the way I always tackled it was, um, uh, you know, just drip feeding, keeping in touch with them. Mm. Send to the, so if we'd done a, a piece around cybersecurity with them, I would send them articles, say, hey, I just saw this in the news. Hope you're keeping well. And, blah, blah. and sometimes, like, we've all got this with email marketing. People say, oh, email marketing doesn't work. It absolutely does, mm. but it never works the way you expect it to. So I will send out like an, yeah, my weekly MSP insights and get every week three or four people getting in touch 
about nothing to do with what was in the email. <laughs> they say, oh, that reminded me. I wanted to speak to you about something from something six else. months ago. Yeah. So it's all about staying in touch in my opinion. Yeah, yeah. One of the... And one, you on a very good point. Sorry, you go, Pete. Sorry, very briefly, you touched on a very good point there, Richard, in terms of like the... It has to be the right time for them and getting back to them and, and what have you. I always find it so important on the very beginning of the sales process, as soon as that inquiry comes through, and I, I, I drill this into so many people that as soon as that inquiry comes through, you get back as soon as possible. Mm. You pick up the phone, even if it's not you, yes, if you're the business owner that's dealing this with the sales inquiries, just one of your staff or a VA or somebody picks up the phone, phones them back, books in a meeting, gets some initial information, says, yep, you know, got everything we need, we'll be back with you as soon as possible. Um, we, we won so many quotes and had so many good comments from people where they'd inquired with us and we were the first person to go back to them, the first person to quote them because we, we, we valued, you know, their time. We understand it's a very time sensitive thing with IT. It's, you know, waiting for contracts to lapse, waiting for that kind of pain point to happen that makes them inquire with you. So you want to get back to them as soon as possible. Um, and just the longer you leave that, then the lower your chances of actually securing that, you know, that that's a new client because they'll get bored. They'll find someone else that does respond quicker. So I think the, the, the response point for, both the initial sales inquiry, but also like the follow-up process as well. Like you say, consistency um, is, is where the where the business is won, essentially. There's some brilliant, brilliant advice from Tim Swainson um, over at Kemp here. Uh, Tim is just, I, I think Tim exemplifies like the go-giver <laughs> as well. So it's brilliant to see a salesperson who takes this, but he says, he always asks, how would you like me to follow up the interest you've just confirmed? He says, I can hand you or give you space. <laughs> <laughs> Who do you need to take this to for approval? Yep. Can I be introduced? But that's yeah. in what we, we talked about in similar terms is like an upfront agreement. Okay, so we've got an agreement. You want to go ahead with this. When should we next meet yeah. to confirm the next step or what, should, what would it yeah. look like? So, yeah. Yeah. Um, one of the one of the lessons I learned from a guy out here in Australia called Troy Dean, um, who's not in the MSP space, he's in, a, in the WordPress space, is what he calls the sales anti-follow-up. And so once, whenever he went out and, and did a proposal, and I I'd only learned this in the last stages of me having my MSP, so I was only able to use it very slightly. I wish I was able to use it more, but you'd go out and you'd, you'd get the proposal done and you present and you'd go back into that mode where it was kind of in a waiting on them state. And in that state, most sales reps go into that desperation state, like follow up and get on the call and where is it? And they bleed like they're, they're oozing desperation out their pores and people do not buy from desperation. It's as simple as that. And so his process, and which I only used very briefly a couple of times, was what he calls a sales anti-follow-up, where he would then say to them, hey, guys, I know that you're, we're in a bidding scenario here. There's a couple other people in the mix. They're probably hounding you at the moment. I'm not going to hound you. Instead, here's a, a seven or 12-part checklist to help you make a better decision because you've got a tough decision here to make, and you've got to think about a few different things. So here's a, here's a little one-pager or two-pager of the, the nine things that you should know when deciding to, to go with a new MSP or deciding to change your IT company. And that's a follow-up, it's a touch point, but it's not asking for the sale. It's helping them make a better decision. And it's, and to me, that it positions you in a much better light than all the, the, the desperados on the phone going, hey, you ready to sign the deal yet? Are you ready to sign the deal yet? And, um, and I think it was awesome. I used it a couple of times very briefly, and it worked really well because it, it just got people jumping back on and having the conversation again and, and diving back into it. Um, There's one thing yeah. I mentioned very quickly on, on that as well. Sorry, but yes, one cool. thing I was going to mention on that very briefly is when you're using quoting tools, probably there's quite, you know, lots of MSPs using quoting tools. You can probably tell when they're opening your quotes because you get a little yes. ping in your email to say, oh, they've opened right. your quote. They're viewing it from this IP address at this time. Um, that's, I always right. use that as my first touch point to pick up the phone 
phone them back and say, you know, you're, not, you're not pressuring them at all. You're just saying, hey, just, just checking you've received the quote because, you know, spam, junk, it gets caught up. Like, no pressure, just, just making sure you've received it. Coincidentally, they're literally in the in the email and in the quote right now. <laughs> so if they're reading it through and obviously you had any questions, that's a perfect yeah. time to get on the phone and just just yeah, yeah. to be on the phone with those, them. Those tools make it very low cool. pressure, and ninety yeah. percent of the time it is just a just checking received it. They'll be like, "Yep, yeah, that's fine, cool, it's with you," and just let me know if you've got any problems. Uh, yeah. That's a really again kind of in terms of timing, that's a really nice kind of a sweet spot to try and try and aim for. Agreed. We do have to run in a couple of minutes because Richard's got to take off to a tribal gathering up in, down in, sideways in, in Edinburgh up somewhere. In, up down in, in down in, yeah. somewhere. So I'm in, I'm in Newcastle upon Tyne. I'm going to fly next to head up to Edinburgh in Scotland uh, for the first, the inaugural Tech Tribe Edinburgh local meetup. And we talked previously on Behind the Geeks about this. We're having, if you enjoy this atmosphere of conversation, it's going to blow your mind to come to one of the Tech Tribe local groups because that we've got them on a pilot scheme here in the UK meeting every month. Doesn't cost you a penny to attend. Get free pizza as well. Uh, thanks to our friends at Pax Eight uh, for uh, paying for the for the room hire and the uh, refreshments. So I'm off to Edinburgh this evening, but. Wherever you are in the world, there's somewhere some coming to you very, very soon. So also this evening, we've got in Staffordshire, Gareth Westwood is hosting the uh, the um, Staffordshire group. Uh, we've got Daniel Welling and Chris Tim hosting a group in London tonight. London. So that we've actually got three, three groups going on the same night in the Today. UK. In uh, today awesome. and then next week we've got Robert Gibbons hosting uh, the Northwest Group, and next week as well Andy O'Neill will be hosting the Northeast Group here in Newcastle upon Tyne as well. So I, I, wherever I, you are in the world, there's a group coming to you very very as soon. As long as it's the UK. <laughs> but if you're in the UK, you can come and attend them straight away now. So go to tub.co forward slash Tech Tribe Local. And you'll get all the details there. That's the closest you're going to get to a pitch for the tech tribe from us. And we're not <laughs> making any money off it, are we, Nigel? So I'm really no, good. I'm really no. bad at this sales process. That's fine. That's because we <laughs> care more about the client than we care about the margins at the moment, as we just said. Um, right. Well, we do have to wrap up so so Richard can go and jump on the train or plane or automobile that he is jumping on. Um, thank you, gentlemen. What are we going to talk about next week? What are we going to babble on about and rattle on about? What's a did anything pop up in tonight's one that we could throw as a next week's topic? Or does anyone want to throw really... something in the chat boxes as something they really want us to dive in on on I'm next week? I'm not week's... here next week. That's right. I was just going to say, you're not here. Blessed yeah. relief for the audience, isn't it? So I'm actually yeah. across in Switzerland presenting at the Acronis Cyber Summit. So when I come back, I'll bring back what I've learned from that. Uh, but you, I think, is it Jason Kemsley joining you next week? Yes. Yeah, we've, we've got much he's seven. He's, he's happy nice to join. Much better looking, much oh, far better looking. Better looking. I was going to say, like, younger, more knowledgeable, less tough. No, he's not less tough. Doesn't have all those silly computers in the background. <laughs> cool. Um, okay, so, well, so perhaps with Jason, we like he. I know he loves diving into the topics of outsourcing because that's his game, but also cool. mental health as well. Now I know we've already had a mental health topic, but maybe we can mix and match something around there. So we will we will think of something off air. Um, and come up with it before next week when we'll get it out there on the YouTube channel. The best place to keep up to date with these is either clicking the subscribe button there or there or there or wherever it is. It's down. <laughs> I never, I can't get this bloody stuff right. <laughs> down there. Make sure you go and check out all of the other guy. Like this is obviously a Tech Tribe channel, but make sure you go and check out what everybody else is doing. Pete is running one-on-one -on -one coaching. He's got a great one-on-one -on -one coaching program with a course for MSPs called notartbusinesscoach.com. Uh, Richard has got a bunch of different things. His podcast, his books, his coaching, his rent to Richard's brain. He's got a million different things going on. 
Um, so make sure you go and check out all that at tublog.co.uk. And to go and watch Scott's stuff, you are cloudnexus.co.uk. If you want to see what an MSP is doing that's um, that's kind of heavily focused on the, the the consulting and the engagement side of things versus the, the help desk side of things, you can go and check out all of his stuff. And he's also got a great YouTube channel uh, that I only just subscribed to last week and watched the first video. And it's a great example of an MSP doing high-quality video out there and, and doing it really well. And so if you haven't checked out that, all of the links to all of those things should be in the show notes down below there somewhere up there. Do we have a podcast saying. yet, Nigel? No, it's going to be another week. I have had a <laughs> week from madness over here. Um, resulting in me having to hold Nigel accountable for this on air. (laughs) Pass it across to you guys. I had a week of having to do the same where I had to step away from a a pretty serious board assignment and resign from it um, after not them not taking things seriously here after enough things. So I've had one of those weeks of being on the end of one of those things where I wasn't ready to take on the risk that the board was willing to take, the rest of the board was willing to to take on in here. So I've had a a week of dealing with that mess at the moment, which is fun. Um, but anyway, it will come. There will be a podcast sometime very shortly. The wheels are turning. They're just turning a little bit slower than what I'd like and what we'd all like, but it will be on the way. Um, but at the moment, just subscribe on YouTube. You'll find it on there. I think we push it out on Facebook and LinkedIn as well where we can. Uh, but YouTube is a place to, to go and find it. With that said, thank you, gentlemen. As always, it's been a pleasure. We will not miss you next week, Richard. And um, <laughs> I'm kidding. I really am kidding, <laughs> hopefully. <laughs> Safe travels up to the events and we will chat up chat up with everyone. I'm not going to chat up with anybody. We will catch up with everybody next week, same time, same place, on the same show, talking about some sort of topic that we will come up with between now and then with Jason Kemsley as our guest for the, the week. Until then, though, have an awesome weekend. It's bye from me and bye from the rest of you.